And Heavenly Father, we, we gather this morning to celebrate you, your incredible faithfulness to me, to us, a group of people that haven't earned, have, don't deserve. In fact, I'm incredibly ill-deserving of your kindness and your faithfulness, and yet you lavish your goodness and your grace on us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so thank you this morning that it's not about us, not about what we can accomplish. It really is about you and how good you are. Our job is to walk in the light, to surrender to you. And so I pray this morning would be a, a morning of surrender. All of us have brought in stresses and anxiety and fear and panic. And so I pray that this morning, this sermon might be an opportunity just to offload all of that anxiety and panic. Would you give us grace um, to unload that? You tell us to. You tell us to cast all of our anxiety upon you. And so this morning, as I read your word, would you give us the grace to let go of those things that control us? I admit that I'm unable to do anything, and so I ask you to fill me with your spirit to serve and strengthen your sheep, your people, for your glory. I pray this morning you'd open eyes, soften hearts, give us ears to hear, and courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome as you're being seated. Uh, it's so good to see you all. Uh, let me speak to guests, visitors, first-timers. Uh, so glad you're here at Hillside. We believe Jesus changes everything. And I, I would want you to know that Jesus isn't a part of what we do here. He really is the point of everything that we do. And so this morning, we don't want your money. We're not going to take an offering. I, I really would like your mind for about 35 minutes, though, because I'd like to persuade you that Jesus is the Son of God, and that in surrendering your life to Him, you'll find new life, you'll find a new power for living out this life. So that's our goal this morning. That's my stated goal. I want you to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Uh, for the, for the long-timers, those of you who have been coming, I want to praise you for just a little bit. I know it's been messy around here, all kinds of dirt, parking's crazy, seating's crazy, and I haven't heard any complaints. Y'all are doing amazing Thank you. Did you see the walls go up? You guys see that? Super, super duper cool. Yeah, it's fun to watch. And so thanks for loving each other and all the mess. I know it's super messy and you get all kinds of dusty and your new boots get dusty, but that's what boots are for, aren't they? That's what I, I thought cowboys' boots were supposed to be dirty and dusty. Uh, we've been walking through Genesis, looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ in Genesis. We've got Genesis chapter 47 today. It's one chapter that I, if, if I had to take chapters out of the Bible, I would take chapter 47 out. It's like, why are you, why are you recording a move that, that this group of 70 people make? Like, how many of you have ever moved? How many of you would write that down in the annals of history so your kids could remember, like, boxing up and moving? Chapter 47 is all about the move. I want to show you it's beautiful. It is gorgeous. And today I'm going to show you because of Jesus and what he has done, we can now be real, we can now be robust, and we can now rest. And so this passage about a move is actually incredibly important. Uh, there's a reason Moses put it in. Let me read it to you. I'm actually going to read from chapter 46, like chapter 46, verse 28, down through the end of 47. So gird up your loins. 
It's about four and a half minutes. Actually, it's about four minutes and 48 seconds. But it's totally worth it. Let me read the Bible to you. God says, Moses writes this in Genesis chapter 46, verse 28. Uh, Now he, that's Jacob, sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. Now, as I read through, I want you to see how many times this this name, this place, Goshen, shows up, okay? It's going to become a, that's why I called this sermon Boardwalk and Park Place. Watch this. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph, verse 29, prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face that you're still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and I'll say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they've brought their flocks and their herds and all, they have, and all that they have. Verse 33, but when, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers. And you should say this so that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now chapter 47, watch this. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father, your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen, and if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Well, then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and and literally put his father before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? Literally, what does it say there? Yeah, how many years have you lived, bro? (laughs) So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130 They've been few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained to the years that my my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled uh, his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Verse 13, watch this, 13 through 26 gets astounding, and then 27 is the big oomph. 13, now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they, they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Well, when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us 
food? For why should we die in your presence? For our money's all gone. Well, then Joseph said, well, give up your livestock and I'll give you food for your livestock since your money's all gone. So they brought in their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and flocks and the herds and the donkeys and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock. Verse 18, well, when that year was ended, they came in and, to Joseph the next year and said, we will not hide from my Lord that our money's all spent and the cattle, it's all my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us and by our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh? So give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may, may not be desolate. Watch this. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. Verse 21, as for the people, he removed them from the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people in verse 23, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now, here is seed for you, and you may sow, uh, and you may sow the land. Verse 24, At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fish shall be your own for seed and for the field and for your food and for those of your house uh, as food for your little ones. So here's what they said. They said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth, 20% tax. Only the land of the priests did not become the Pharaoh's. Watch 27. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen and they actually acquired property in it. They were fruitful and became very numerous. There's the passage. Let's jump into it. I'm going I'm to walk you through the whole thing. Super beautiful passage, and we're going to walk away with three central truths. As you read through 47, I want you to see the big picture is this. God, the one true God, the God of the Bible is all-powerful, omnipotent, almighty. That is, he is the ultimate power source. We were created to be in relationship with him, to connect with him, and derive power from him. In fact, the Bible says we all live and move and breathe and have our being in him. He's the ultimate power source. Now, there's also a small theological picture that runs through the Bible. Sin is actually parasitic. It separates us from the true power source, and it actually sucks life from us. Sin's parasitic. It's like when you used to live in, in the garage and you didn't pay your power bill and they turned off your energy and you took your power cord over to the neighbor's outlet and plugged in. Anybody? Nobody. Okay, it was like when I did that then in my addiction. All right. Sin is literally parasitic. It, it promises to supply life, but it steals life. The Bible tells the story of the gospel, the good news, Jesus, the son of God who came to reconcile you to the power source. Every single one of you is connected to a power source today. Uh, if it's God, 
He has come through his son to give you abundant life. That's what the Bible says, overflowing life, so that you actually provide life for others and you're not parasitic and take life. But you're all connected to some power source. I wanna encourage you to connect to the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, and find true life, abundant life, eternal life in him. Now, as we walk through, I'm gonna show you how this is a reality. Chapter 47 As we ask, why is this here? I would say, number one, grammatically, literarily, Moses writes it down to explain to future generations, how did Israel get into Egypt in the first place? Because when you get into Exodus, you have to answer the question, what's Israel doing in Egypt? So number one, it answers, how did Israel, this nation that God's building to send the Messiah, how did this nation get into Egypt? Number two, How did they end up not only in Egypt, but they ended up in the master bedroom in Egypt? They ended up with the penthouse in Egypt. They ended up in the sweetest spot. Anybody ever had a house guest that stayed too long and ended up (laughs) taking over the master bedroom? Nobody? Okay. It happens sometimes. Didn't they tell a story about that? Little Red? No, that wasn't Little Red. What's the porridge one with the three bears? Doesn't matter. There's a... There's a, doesn't matter. I got off track there. Watch as we jump through because three truths are going to jump out. They're super helpful. They're helpful in whatever stage and place of life that you're in. I want you to, I I want you to walk away with these three things because of what Jesus has done for you. You can now be real. And when you're real, you'll be able to heal. Number two, you can be robust. You don't have to be ashamed. And number three, you can rest because God has taken care of it all. Let me show you in the text. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to start out. I'm going to jump into chapter 46, really verse 34. Let me show you how you can be real because of the gospel. And, and first, I should probably put out what kind of culture you live in. We live in a fake, fraudulent, curated culture. I don't know if you know that. All the commercials we see as seen on TV, um, You live in a phony baloney, Oscar Mayer culture. And because of that, many of us are used to insincere, ungenuine um, baloney. I mean, it's just, it's nonsense. I call it the social media paradigm. None of it's real. People curate it to gain approval of others. Watch what Joseph does here, because the first thing you get, and I'm going to go chapter, uh, verse 34, and then I'm going to jump over. What happens here, and I need you to feel what Joseph is feeling. So he's lived in Egypt for decades, working with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, in his own mind, the personification of Ra, the sun god. Pharaoh's a big deal in his mind. Everything around Pharaoh is perfect. Anybody seen the Emperor's New Groove? It's not a bad, it's not a bad a portrayal of probably what Pharaoh was young and he thought himself to be God. Joseph is about to bring his, his families are going to meet. Do you remember when you were getting married and the families met? Anybody? Anybody seen Meet the Fockers? Okay. Like these families, anybody said, seen my big fat Greek wedding? The, okay. These families are going to meet and it's awkward, isn't it? Because you know, Joseph knew my hillbilly family is coming to meet Ra the sun god. We got some issues and I'm going to have to coach them on how to act because I grew up watching Beverly Hillbillies. Anybody watch? You got these hillbillies rolling into 90210. 
and you're going to have some issues, yo. Watch what Joseph does because Joseph has some learning to do too. So he says this in verse 33 to his brothers. When Pharaoh calls you guys, and when Pharaoh says, what is your occupation? Verse 34, you shall say your servants have been, you see this next one? Your servants have been, that's a big deal. That means cowboys. Tell Pharaoh your cowboys. Literally in the Hebrew, because cows are a big deal in Egypt. In fact, so much so they worshiped cows in Egypt. And so if you tell him you're cowboys, he'll let you live in the land of Goshen so that you may live in the land of Goshen. Four, verse 34, every shepherd is what? Yeah, he goes in. So let me unpack this for you. Go ahead and pull up the map of Goshen. I pulled one off my phone. I Google mapped it. You need to know, number one, uh, what is Goshen and why is this shown up seven times right here? This is a modern day picture of Egypt and if you file, uh, follow the Nile River up to, to the Mediterranean Sea, right by the Red Sea, here's Goshen. That's why I call it Boardwalk and Park Place. You've got Cairo here, you've got the Suez Canal here. Do you see this green Y right here? It's where the Nile turns into the delta and breaks out into like 127 tributaries and it waters, even modern day, it waters all this land. This here is called Beverly Hills. We call it Goshen. It's prime real estate. And so this is why Joseph is coming. He's like, listen, I want to settle you guys in Beverly Hills. But to get into Beverly Hills, you got to tell Pharaoh you work with cows because the Egyptians love cows. And Israel ends up loving cows too, a little bit too much because in Exodus, they, they make a golden, get, yeah, so they get into it too. Now, we also have to ask, why is it that they hated sheep? Go ahead and play the sheep video. This is really easy to answer. Here's a sheep that's stuck. Poor little guy, maybe got stuck accidentally. We can't judge him, right? Maybe he fell in, he was busy. No. No. See, he didn't just fall in. Watch it in slow motion. We don't just fall into the ditch, do we, Joel? Like this is con mucho gusto and nailed the dismount. You can go ahead and stop. This is legit. Do you know why Pharaoh hated sheep? Do you know why the Egyptians looked at shepherds and was like, those guys are idiots. We don't want any sheep around here. Sheep are, if you leave sheep alone, they can't survive. They take perpetual, consistent, constant care. So Joseph coaches the boys and says, tell him you're cowboys, not shepherds. The boys get it, but do they? Because look at chapter 47, verses two and three. The boys come in, verse two, Joseph took five of his brothers, probably five he could trust. Remember, you're cowboys. You're not shepherds, cowboys. When he asks you, say, you're cowboys. He took five of them from his, among his brothers, presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And this is where you're supposed to shine. And I know Joseph's standing there. All right, I coached him. This is gonna be good. Then the brothers said, your servants are? shepherds and Jojo had to go, no, 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 no. Oh man, missed the dismount on that one. But Pharaoh said, 
Joseph, the land is all yours. You've saved it all. Settle your brothers wherever you want to settle them. Number one, because of the gospel and because this is God's story, you need to know that you can be real. You don't, you don't have to act like more than you are. It's okay to simply say, I'm a sheep. I have nothing to offer. I'm a shepherd. It's okay not to be a people pleaser. I'm going to say it again because this is an addiction and a disease in America. How many of you honestly know you need people to like you to be okay? How many of you know and can actually verbalize, I'm a people pleaser and it is an addiction and idolatry because I need people to like me. Therefore, I tend to live a phony, baloney, fake Oscar Mayer life. In, in, yeah, my baloney, I say Oscar Mayer, my baloney, I'll probably get sued for like defaming the top brand of baloney, but my baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. But baloney is fake. And in America, most of us have learned to live fake lives. How are you doing? I'm fine. Things are great. I watch social media posts, and it's ridiculous. We will put out fake, phony nonsense to get a thumbs up and a heart. When I happen to know I met with you the day before, and life is falling apart, literally, and yet here's you out there having a great old time, and life is grand. You do that for a dopamine hit. It's actually an addiction. You're a dope head, and you don't know it. And this is what America has brought us to. We plug into people as our power source. If you like me, then I'm okay. You need to know it's okay to be real. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. There is nothing hidden from his sight. And until you get real, you'll never heal. Until you get real and walk in the light, your marriage will never heal. You'll never heal because you won't be dealing with reality. You'll be living a Roy Ban life. I ever tell you when I go down to Mexico and get my Roy Bans? Yeah, let it play out. Let it play out. Oh, wait, it's Ray Ban. Yeah, but in Mexico, it's Roy Ban. I get them for six bucks. And before I get back, the lens pops out because they're not real. They're phony. They're fake. And that's what many of our lives are. And because of the gospel, Jesus says, you can be real. Friends, you can be real because Jesus knows it all and he already paid for your sin. Let's go to the next one. Watch this. It's beautiful and I intend to offend. Maybe I'll get fired and reach my lifelong goal today. Watch chapter 47, verses 7 and 10. You're not going to believe this, but it's true. Not only can we be real, as Christians, we can also be robust now, I know this is, you've been told most of your life because cancel culture has been growing. No, you should be ashamed and you should be silent. Shut your mouth, Christian. You are part of the problem. You are the problem. If you're white, male, Christian, 47 in America, you are the problem. Shut your face. Watch what Jacob does here. Then Joseph, and again, it's him bringing his hillbilly dad in to meet Ra, the sun god. Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob did what? Blessed, literally, to eulogize. 
He walks in, and I love this because old people get away with this. When you're old, you can wear short socks, sandals, have white legs, wear whatever. It doesn't have to match. You're old. You made it. People are just glad you're, you're here. They're like, that's grandpa. He's going to spray you with Windex because it heals everything, and he wears socks and sandals. That's just, that's granddad. Jacob walks in, and I want you to see you can be robust it's okay. He walks in and he blesses Pharaoh. Pharaoh made God Almighty, El Shaddai, the one true God of the Bible, bless you and cause you to come to a knowledge of the truth and see your sin and repent and avoid Gehenna and end up in paradise forever. Amen. He blesses him. I don't Nobody blesses Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the sun god. He is the ultimate blesser. Not to Jacob. He's like, bless you, son. Bless you, little whippersnapper. Someday you can wear socks and sandals too. Now watch this in verse 10. Watch verse 10. It's actually sandwiched. And Jacob on the way out did what? Bless you, Pharaoh. And as I said previously, May you repent of your sins and avoid eternal damnation in hell and come to put your faith in the one true God of the Bible. Have a good day. And he walks out. I love it. You need to know that we live in a culture, it just made it into Webster's Dictionary, called the cancel culture. I know you've all heard of it, everyone. You've heard of it. It is secular, human, secular humanism's form of church discipline. When... It, the world says, we're going to do what we want to do, and if you disagree, we will discipline you by canceling you. So you better be filled with anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry, and you better shut your face, and you better be silent because you are the problem. That's secular humanism. It, it is incredibly intolerant, bigoted, and narrow-minded, and therefore it projects its intolerant, bigoted, narrow-mindedness on Christians and calls you bigoted, narrow-minded, and intolerant. It's astounding. It's a personality disorder that the world has. World uh, uh, Cultures can have personality disorders. And I want you to know that in the church, we actually have a culture of not anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry, but love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I want you to know I want to proclaim this to you and over you. You can be robust in your faith. It is okay. I know you live in a world that says you'll be canceled. We'll call you a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, a transphobe, a phobe of everything. You'll be canceled and hated, so fear us. I want you to know you don't have to be afraid. We can be robust without being repulsive. You understand we have different worldviews. Secular humanism's worldview, we evolved. We came from nowhere, we're going nowhere, and we have no purpose here. Therefore, morality can be set by whatever I want. I understand that worldview. I actually lived it for a long time, and it ended me up in lockup and rehab. Didn't work out that well. So now I've come to Christ, and I have a different worldview. My worldview is that the Bible is God's word. God has spoken 
And God has told me where I come from, where I'm going, why I'm here, what the problem is, what the solution is, who he is, and how I can be reconciled to him by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You need to understand from my agnostic, atheist, and non-believing friends here, one, I love you. Two, I believe that we can be robust without being repulsive. I believe we can disagree and still be friends and I'll buy you coffee. But I do need you to know, as a Christian, the Bible is my authority. And it's okay if you say you don't believe the Bible is God's word. I get that. But for me and for Christ followers, the Bible is God's word. And God has designed this world and he's defined it and he directs how I shall live. Therefore, I don't get to define sexuality, masculinity and femininity. The Bible does that. God says he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we gather together and say there's two sexes, man and woman, not 68. That's nonsense to us because God has said there's two. When it comes to marriage, God has said marriage, he, def- he designed it, he defined it. He said marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman in one covenant relationship for one lifetime and that is the design for delight. So we don't get to redefine it. I simply obey God, it's not up to me. When it comes to sex, it's God's wedding gift for one man, one woman in one covenant relationship for one lifetime. Now, I know people tell me every every time I talk about it, Dave, that's so archaic. Oh, my goodness. Do you really believe that that's doable? Yes. Yes. Not only only is it doable, it's delightful. It is how God designed it. Well, Dave, I'm never going to do that. Okay, let me know how it works out for you. It hasn't worked out for anyone up to this point, but maybe you need to test it out. Used outside of God's design, it will devastate you. When it comes to abortion, I don't get to decide. God does. He says, I I formed that child in its mother's womb. It's not an accident. And you can tell me, Dave, don't tell me what to do with my body. I'm not telling you what to do with your body. I'm saying, please leave your hand off that little body inside of you. And so we gather together because our worldview is from the scriptures and God has told us that which is good and that which is right. And I don't have to be embarrassed by it. I don't have to be ashamed of it. This is what God has said. And as conservatives, we gather together, oh, Dave, I don't know. It's getting worse and worse. They're going to throw us in jail. (laughs) Yeah, you need to know that's actually a bucket list item for some of us. (laughs) Like, that's actually the win. It's not an embarrassing thing. It's like, Dave, they're going to lock you up. I know, it's going to be weird. I'm going to go to prison. They're going to be like, what are you in for? I said, dudes are dudes and gals are gals. That's, that's actually, don't be afraid. God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and sound mind. The world needs to be blessed by hearing the truth spoken in love. I'm ashamed of all kinds of laws that our government has passed. I look at them and I feel shame because they're bad. But I'll tell you this, I've never been ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It is the hope of the world and the world needs to hear it from people who are not ashamed, amen? Amen. You You don't have to be ashamed. We can be robust without being repulsive. 
And people can say, Dave, I disagree with you. That's good. I, they're not my thoughts. They're God's. And I just want to encourage the world to be more open-minded, more tolerant, to consider that maybe there is a God who created everything and maybe they should be open-minded enough to consider that God. Now, let's go to the third one. I've got a minute and 10 seconds left in a whole chapter. Totally going to nail this one. Watch this. Not only can we be real, because when we're real and walk in the light, we can heal. If you're not walking in the light, you're not going to heal. Number two, you can be robust. You don't have to be ashamed. You can be robust without being repulsive. Number three, you can rest. Your God will supply all of your needs according to your rich, his riches and glory. Watch this. I'll just go verse 14. How many of you have ever played Monopoly, the board game? How many of you have never played Monopoly? Now I'm curious. Never, never, one? Anybody else? Never, ever, ever played Monopoly? Two. Okay. Well, I mean, I connected with 99.9996% of the people here, so that's pretty good. I f my heart literally breaks for those who have never played Monopoly. Um, Joseph literally wins the game. He's got all the cash in the bank. Did you see that? Verse 26, Joseph gathered, verse 14, Joseph gathered all the money in Egypt and in Canaan. So he's got literally all the money from the bank. He has got all of the livestock. He gathers it all. He gets all of the property, gathers it all. He gets all of the people. The people are now his slaves. And by, by verse 24, 25, and 26, he has now instituted in perpetuity, a 20% tax on everything, on all the people, all the time, for all history. So Joseph and Pharaoh won the game. Egypt is totally enslaved to Pharaoh. Now watch verse 27. I think this is why Moses wrote it, because it's almost like America's Funniest Home Videos. Like, Egypt is now decimated, and verse 27 says, Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired, they acquired Boardwalk and Park Place. They got the best of the land, and they were fruitful, and they became very numerous. God's growing his great nation. And he does it in unpredictable, humorous ways. Sometimes he'll bring his plan to fruition and he'll make the enemy pay for it. I mean, everybody was up in arms when Trump said, hey, we're going to build the wall and Mexico will pay for it. That's exactly what God does here. Like, hey, I'll build a great nation and Egypt is going to pay for it. It's astounding. It's like the, the gall of it. You need to know that your God will provide all of your needs. You live in a society that's driven by scarcity. Do you know that? If you don't, you don't understand what the news is. The news exists to tell you what you won't have one day. You're running out of power, you're running out of gas, you're running out of food, and, and we're right because you've already run out of toilet paper. Anybody remember that? <laughs> so we have enough life experience to know we can run out of toilet paper, so we're probably running out of everything. We're in big trouble because if I can't wipe my bum bum, the day does not go well, amen? No amens. <laughs> but we literally, 
the news exists to tell you it's all scarce, it's all running out, and you should be afraid, and you should freak out and function in anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry because anxious people don't make wise decisions. They go into lizard brain, and they make very foolish decisions. You live in a world of scarcity. You need to know in that world of scarcity, your God has said he's a God of sufficiency. He will meet every need you have. You need to know this because it's an incredible tactic of the enemy. When the enemy can get you to live in scarcity mentality, you're worried about what you won't have one day. Do you realize that? You're, lo you're looking in the future and saying, I'm not going to have enough. No offense to financial advisors, but I think it's your job to say, you're not going to have enough. You need to save more. I can be a financial advisor. I just tell people, you're not saving enough. Your nest egg isn't big enough, and one day you won't have enough. I offended all the financial advisors in the room. But that is the goal. You won't have enough. When you tell people they won't have enough, then they live in the state of fear. And when you're worried about not having enough, you can't enjoy what you actually have, and you never give thanks. Do you know God has provided all of our needs abundantly every day that we've lived? The number one killer in America is that we have too much. We literally eat too much. It's the number one killer, heart disease, because we have too much. And yet we're ungrateful because we're afraid that one day, somewhere down the road, we won't have enough. The enemy's, the enemy's tactic complete. Because when you're worried about what you won't have, you focus on what you don't have, and you won't give thanks for what you do have. And friends, he has given you a lot. You can be real because Jesus died on a cross in your place for your sin. He paid your penalty. Give thanks for that. He paid it all for you. You can be real. Today I encourage you, maybe for the first time, back your dump truck, dump truck of anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry and cast it onto him. He has paid it all. You're not hiding anything from him. He knows. He knows it all and says, cast it all on me. So number one, you can be real. Number two, you can be robust. Because not only did Jesus die on that cross, Jesus rose again, and this world has no answer for death. None. Not one. They're scared to death of death, and it drives them in anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry. You can be robust and proclaim, Jesus rose from the dead, therefore I have hope that's greater than the grave. You can be robust. It's okay. They may cast you in jail one day. That's great. You can finally get the prison tat you've always wanted. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. But maybe we'll be in there together. You can be robust. This world is hopeless apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And number three, you can rest because your God has provided all your needs in his son, Jesus Christ. So come to him today. Cast your anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry on him and begin to give thanks for all that he's done for you. It'll change your mind. It'll change your marriage. and It'll change your community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It is beautiful. It's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. 
I often feel like I have to rush through and I miss so much good that you have in there for us. Father, would you take your word through your spirit, apply it to our hearts. I pray that today would be a day of salvation as some realize that they can be real. They can be robust and confess their sin and they can rest in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be a day of sanctification as your children cast their anxiety on you knowing you're El Shaddai. You've provided everything we need every day we live for everything you've asked us to do. Would you be glorified now as we sing to you in Jesus' name, amen.